This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Turkey's currency, the lira, is rebounding slowly after Qatar came to its aid earlier this week, saying it was willing to invest $15 billion in the country. However, experts say Turkey's financial problems are far from over. The lira fell 20 percent against the dollar last Friday, leaving many concerned that this crisis could spread to other emerging markets. Add in Turkey's trade dispute with the U.S. and the tariffs imposed by the Trump administration, which are adding to the country's woes. So what brought Turkish finances to this low point and why is there a concern of contagion? Joining us in studio to discuss this, Philip Nichols, professor of social responsibility in business and of legal studies in business here at the Wharton School. And joining us on the phone is Joao Gomes, who's a finance professor here at the Wharton School. Phil, great seeing you again, as always. Thanks for coming in. Good to see you, Dan. Joao, thank you for uh, joining us today. Thank you, Dan. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Phil, how significant is the risk at this moment? Well, the risk of contagion... Um, may be overstated. Uh, the exposure to uh, lira-backed instruments is generally minimal. I mean, Spain is probably the largest lender to Turkey, and even Spain, Spanish banks, which are themselves vulnerable, have very small holdings in, Tur- in lira-backed instruments or in instruments ba- – I'm sorry, not lira-backed, but instruments backed by the um, Turkish government. I think the risk of contagion has more to do with sentiment – and attitudes towards emerging market and emerging economy instruments and and finances than actual you know collapse and contagion caused by the difficulties that Turkey is facing right now. So, Joam, how much of this? Uh, I mean, obviously, there's an element of this uh, that that uh, does come from the financial element, but I, I think some people are also saying, from the policy perspective of, of President Erdogan, uh, that uh, that he is obviously very much responsible for a lot of what is happening in that country right now. Uh, absolutely, I, I think this is a really good example of how populism and, and disregard for sort of basic economics uh, eventually catches up with you. I think it's a lesson for other countries. We often talk about uh, the rest of Europe and austerity and, and all these things that uh, afflict Europe for years. This is sort of what precedes that story, is having uh, bad economic policy for a succession of years. And Erdogan is certainly been uh, um, pursuing that for a while. He's been uh, taking advantage of the fact that we lived in a world of relatively low interest rates, where there's just a lot of capital floating around that's either from quantitative easing in the U.S. or in Europe to just people are sort of looking for places to invest. In, and Turkey has been beneficiary of that. We've sort of been willing to accept uh, anything that is out there that offers a little bit of yield and funding the Turkish government or funding Turkish banks or Turkish households is sort of being acceptable. But I think that's catching up with, with Turkey and a few other countries at this stage. And I think um, it's been coming for a while. The mo- uh, Erdogan certainly... Sorry. No, go ahead. Finish up. I'm sorry. Uh, Erdogan has certainly uh, sort of ignored this or tried to outlive this and, and has taken measures that I, I think, if, if anything, for example, taking away control of the, of the central bank uh, recently, that has sort of undermined whatever confidence is left in, in this regime by financial investors outside Turkey. And, and I think it's going to be really difficult at this stage to, without significant outside help, to prevent a, a crisis in the near term. So h- how much impact will the move by Qatar to say that they are going to invest $15 billion in that country actually have then, Drum? 
It's a good question. Fifteen billion per se, not not. It's not going to be enough. But uh, are there other friends out there <laughs> that Turkey can right. and Erdogan can resort to? I think that's that's the question, and, and that's something. It certainly was a little unexpected. Um, but um, that's not going to be enough. But we'll see. We'll see in the coming days. And, and you know, there's a lot of talk about maybe Russia uh, yeah. also coming to the aid of Turkey. There's also not a lot that you can do if you if you live in a in a country like Turkey, which depends a lot on foreign energy and depends a lot on on imports at this stage, and whose exports uh, export markets are sort of limited and particularly affected by the tariffs uh, that President Trump has. Um, seems determined to to push through um so unless there's a couple of very generous friends out there uh this is going to be a very difficult couple of years Chow's comments um underlie the the fact that turkey is at the nexus of a really complex set of political influences yeah um turkey's role yeah. in the wars that are going on in the middle east the wars that are going on you know in iraq and in syria uh, Turkey's role in stabilizing that part of the world against the Arab and Persian influences, Turkey's role in, as a sometimes antagonist and sometimes arbitrator with Israel. Uh, there's a lot of political reasons. And, and of course, Turkey's drift away from and back towards the EU, back toward in the last few days. There's a lot of reasons that outside players might have to try to influence or try to help or try to stabilize Turkey that are not, you know, have nothing to do with finance. Mm -hmm. And as Yao says, who knows what's going to happen in the next, you know, I, I personally doubt that there's enough money in the world to stabilize the horrible policies that Erdogan has been following in the last decade. But it's, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. What are some of the worst uh, policies that he has put into play to, to get Turkey into this spot, Phil? Well, following the 2016 coup, um, one of the things that's least remarked on is the fact that he's seized – or he and his government have seized well over a 1,000 businesses that um, represent something close to possibly – the numbers numbers in this part of the world are always suspect. Yeah. But, Close to $50 billion worth of assets. Now, you know, if I'm an investor looking at a country to go into, that's a number that jumps out at me. Yeah. My assets could be seized immediately. And and yeah. foreign investors have been walking away from Turkey and not walking into Turkey. That's a pretty bad policy, especially since the seizures have been, in, our, in, in, in most people's minds, somewhat arbitrary. And the rule of law seems to have left. So then, Joam, with with that kind of as the the the, the foreground here, does this problem get worse before it gets better? That's a good question. I, I think politics matters, and, and there's an element of unpredictability about U.S. foreign policy right now that makes answering <laughs> that very difficult. Yeah. yeah, we can certainly help make the problem not go away, but we can certainly uh, certainly minimize it and manage it if we want to. And by we mean, obviously, we mean the U.S. administration. Um, that plays a big role. It, it's very hard to, to predict. I think there, there's, we already said it a few times, there's the economics, the economic policy has been disastrous. Turkey is at the mercy of international creditors at this point. And it's a question of uh, 
who's going to step up to help and, and whether we want to. And there's a bigger game about exactly what Turkey's role in, in the 21st century Middle East uh, is going to look like and who are the friends and who are not going to be their friends. From from what I so, read, I don't know. From what I read, Joam, uh, Turkey in the past has, has used the IMF uh, as a little bit of a bailout. Uh, but right. but from what I read, President Erdogan said a, a few years ago that we don't need the IMF anymore. So with <laughs> with the with the yeah, which is really really thought out uh, philosophy there. Um, but when you, when you look at it, I mean, is he going to have to consider that as an option? Uh, at some point here in the near future, especially if he can't find right. a whole lot of other friendly countries to come in with $15 billion, $20 billion, $30 billion. Right. This is strongman's politics, and, and that's a, the trouble with strongman's politics is you cannot appear to depend on anyone, right? Uh, that's, it, it's really hard for anyone to, <laughs> to show up hat in hand asking for money from anyone at this point. You have to look strong. You have to continue to look strong and say these kinds of things. Um, officially, Turkey does not need anything from anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, you just can't back away from that kind of rhetoric and that kind of approach to to world affairs and internal politics. Um, but in practice, yes, we have a big problem. It's very difficult to imagine the IMF stepping in without some significant concessions to uh, the European Union, to the U.S., to, to some, uh, I think it would damage Erdogan's image irreparably within Turkey if that was the case. Um, yeah, uh, to underline that, uh, the most recent uh, polling that's been done in Turkey shows that the AKP, uh, AKP his party, Erdogan's party, yeah, yeah. is not terribly popular in urban areas, not terribly popular with, you know, the demographics are very similar to the United States, interestingly enough. The support comes from rural, support comes largely from, you know, opposition to PKK. Yeah. And so... But is there an expectation that that Erdogan, the way he has ruled that country over the last, you know, few years, that we would have an expectation of seeing a normal transition of power to somebody else in that country. I don't think there's that expectation. Actually, from what I understand, the AKP, AKP is actually worried about transition. Oh, okay. Um, they, 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 there's no uh, apparent error to Erdogan, um, and they're, they're very worried that they will lose uh, a substantial amount of votes if, if something happens to discredit him or if he leaves uh, the, the um, political arena. Right, and so they're they're pretty worried about that, as they they should be, given the fact that they've basically conceded power to his personality rather than to policy. Joam? No, I, I I completely agree. I think that's that's exactly the dilemma uh, of Erdogan and, and, and Turkey right now. Um, there are no good uh, options with him, uh, short of some high level deal with uh, the U.S. Or the EU. Yes, uh, I agree. I, I agree. I find that more difficult, but I, I, it's, I, it's possible. I, I find that just more difficult. Why so? Uh, I, I think, um, first, the EU is, is just naturally uh, going to demand more that Erdogan yeah. does not want to give more in terms of maybe um, institutional um, 
just institutional reforms, more tolerance for uh, political opponents and things of that nature, less corruption maybe. Um, I, I don't want to demean the, the U.S. administration, but I think the Europeans would be more concerned with with, with, uh, with things that Erdogan might find more difficult to concede. I think uh, with Trump, with President Trump, I think it would be much more about the, let's just so just make a deal that makes sense for both sides. But the other more real politics. The the other part to it is that Turkey has has petitioned for quite some time to try and be part of the European Union. So I wonder if if by some chance that you know that that could potentially get done yeah. as some sort of a package deal to help Turkey out of its of its economic problems right now, Phil. I, I, I'm one of the things that intrigues me is the communications I read about this morning between the EU and, and Turkey basically saying we both have a common antagonist, I don't want to use the word enemy, in the current administration in the United States. Yeah. And that current administration is dealing with them both in the same way, uh, calling them, using you know, vicious re- rhetoric against them and then imposing tariffs. Yeah. And the possibility of some kind of alliance other than membership in the European Union uh, that's built around how do we deal with this new irrational actor in the world, the United States. That's an intriguing possibility. Um, f- you know, France this morning, I believe, uh, said economic stability in, in Turkey is critical to the European Union. Yeah. So there's these there's these overtures being made that might signal some new kind of alliance. Because as John very accurately reports. The no, there's no way that Turkey's getting into the EU the way it's built right now. Sure, yeah. Particularly after the difficulties of Romania and Bulgaria. I mean, Turkey is just a non-starter unless it completely reforms, which is not going to happen under Erdogan. Mm-hmm. But there's other forms of, of relationships that they might be tentatively exploring right now to deal with the United States that that are in, interesting and might involve some form of aid to Turkey. Or some influencing of the IMF or other international mm-hmm. institutions. Ram? No, I, I I agree. I think that is there is exactly the question. I think that what is Turkey's role? Who are going to be Turkey's friends? I, I think that there's a big game being played about right now, and and I think as Americans, I think we should be worried about Turkey drifting away from our sort of area of friends. Um, I think that there's a risk about all of this. Um, but there's no denying that Turkey has drifted away anyway in the last 10 years under Erdogan. Um, and, um, um, but, but I still find the, the ties to Europe very difficult in the, in just, just the hostility to Turkey. They're just not, yet. at this stage, I think the, the fear of, of immigrants and just the, the, the general hostility to to the, I, I, I find it difficult for the Europeans to, and, and ultimately lack of resources. I mean, frankly, somebody has to foot the bill. Right. Um, this, is a, this is a union that was unwilling to hmm. to bet a lot in helping out Greece or Italy. Are we going to bet a lot on helping out Turkey, who's not even a member of the? That seems really difficult uh, to engineer at the end of the day to justify be, for the for the European voters. Um, so. But 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 I, I understand the opportunity, the temptation to say, look, we have something in common. Uh, why don't we talk some more and see what we can do? Um, and maybe we can calm markets. Maybe we can we can strike some deals. We can push some things. But but I don't. Mm. I just don't think there's enough 
resources to begin with. There's not enough trade. There's not enough possibilities to to generate revenues for the government of Turkey that that will help them out right now. Phil, yeah, I, I, it, it is difficult to see the end of the tunnel for Turkey. Um, and and being difficult to see the end of the tunnel for Turkey makes you wonder about countries like South Africa that are also heavily indebted. I mean, mm-hmm. one of Turkey's mm-hmm. issues is so much of the debt is held by construction companies yeah. who generate non-hard currency revenue. Yeah. And I was looking at some numbers this morning. South Africa, a lot of that debt – South Africa is heavily leveraged and a lot of that is held by – Firms that don't generate hard currency um, revenues. And so maybe Turkey's the canary in a coal mine telling us there's going to be some other – not through contagion but through right. similar attitudes, mm-hmm. which which may mean Turkey may get swept up into a, a whole program to deal with the overleveraging of a number of countries no matter how politically odious Turkey is. South Africa, you know, they've they've – They've got some real issues with their governance system as well, um, and there's other countries kind of in that that milieu. Yeah. So may, it's hard to see the end of the tunnel for Turkey, but it, it may involve something other than traditional kinds of bailout restructuring. On it may be more political. Joao, in I, I and I'll preface this by saying in more normal times. <laughs> Uh, what role would would the U.S. have either in, in – and I think we've seen you know, part of this, the problem being advanced because uh, of the one of sanctions, because of, of the priest being held in, in Turkey, but also the, the, the tariffs as well. But what role could the United States have played to, to potentially correct some of these problems? Well, I think that – you're right in more normal times, but it's not just the politics. I think that the economics of some incredibly low interest rates have just compounded this. Uh, and, and that is part of something that the U.S. policy was about in, in sort of getting us out of the crisis and so on. And, and, uh, and, and undoing that was always going to create some pain elsewhere in the world. And, and Turkey is just one example. I think a lot of people got addicted. A lot of people around the world got addicted to this sort of low interest rate, easy to borrow, to fund, all sorts of things. Right, and now getting them getting that removed is always going to be painful, and that has nothing to do with politics per se, and, and which I think is, is what you meant. Um, uh, so I, I think we could have done that a little more slowly, or pay more attention to the rest of the world, etc. Um, but I think what, what was really important is, is uh, generating growth from the U.S. that would just allow us to buy more of their goods and sort of drag those economies along. Sort of, they would export more to us as we do better. And so we're doing better, but not necessarily <laughs> boosting this economy's growth because at the same time we're, we're raising these threats of terrorists and sanctions and things like that that are really harming their um, their prospects in outside markets and just exacerbating what was already difficult a difficult situation for them. So we could have done that a little more. We could be more attentive to the fact that they need to grow together with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and we could have been uh, probably in the more normal times, which are not that normal, our role traditionally through the IMF, just making sure that uh, the IMF would guarantee some key loans and make sure that this would never got this, uh, you know, the lira would never devalue so much and, and we would not have this full-fledged panic. And maybe through the back door we would have uh, made sure that everyone felt a little more comfortable and you wouldn't need to spend quite as much t- time and money um, 
um, that we got into this position to begin with. Phil? As always, you've asked a question that makes me think about something. And That's my job here, by the way. And you do it very well. <laughs> the, if you look at the, 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 the Mexican – I mean if you look at the last two possibly comparable, if there is in fact a, a ripple effect here, mm-hmm. the, the Southeast Asia and Mexico. Mexico, the U.S. took the lead with um, – uh, I believe they're called Brady Bonds. Um, restructuring the whole international regimes, uh, the, the 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 debt holders, um, uh, uh, you know uh, how their relationship with Mexico, but it was an international effort led by the United States, but an international effort using international institutions. Uh-huh. Southeast Asia again, the U.S. played uh, one of many leadership roles using a lot of international, you know, global institutions. Right now, there's a lack of leadership in terms of global institutions, and the global institutions themselves under are under attack largely by the United States. Yeah, and so the the kind of approaches we've taken in the past can't play out right now. Yeah, and and that it, and it'll be really interesting to see from a scholarly point of view, not from a human being point of view, how the world kind of reacts. What what's jerry rigged or what? becomes the new normal for dealing yeah. with that, unless what we're seeing right now is totally aberrant. Well, Joan, you brought up something which I think not a lot of people that, that you know, follow finance from the kind of the edges have really thought about is that the path that the United States has taken in terms of, you know, interest rate decreases and declines, obviously, in the wake of the recession, but, you know, kind of uh, the, the the support to give to the economy and now these interest rate increases doesn't just have an effect on the United States. It has an effect on other countries around the world. And that's something that hasn't been really discussed a lot in, in the last couple of years. No, I, I, and, and it should be, and it should, and particularly in, for these countries, it should be because um, it, it's very easy to, if you're the government of Turkey, it's very easy to say, lend me money. I know after all, the alternative is lending to the U.S. and the interest rate there is zero. When the interest rate in the U.S. is four, <laughs> much tougher argument to make. Um, and I think a lot of these countries, we talked a little about South Africa, Brazil is going through exactly the same thing, Argentina. Um, a lot of these countries are going to, to struggle. And, and the countries who are going to struggle are the countries that just borrow a lot and are dependent on... on uh, on either economic growth or just uh, selling a lot abroad. And, and um, um, there's a few examples like Turkey. I would just say this. I think of all the examples we talked about, it's very difficult for, for these international institutions to deal with a populist, authoritarian, slightly questionable leader like Erdogan. Most of the time when they step in, they make pretty tough demands about what can and cannot be done in these in these. Um, countries that they help or they bail out. I find it really difficult for Turkey and Erdogan to ever accept something like that. Um, it, it would be the end of it. I mean, it, it would just be the end of his presidency, um, one way or another. Uh, so I, 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 just, I just don't see that as being the end game here, uh, unless Erdogan goes. But I don't think anybody expects that in the short term. So, I... I Possibly from the IMF, although Erdogan's popularity is based on issues that aren't necessarily 
that he could he might be able to manage around. But if he were to forge other relationships, as, as, as apparently he did with Qatar and possibly mm-hmm. with Russia, um, he might even be able to sell that, particularly given that a lot of the nationalism in the last few months or years has been you know, fueled by an artificial anti-Americanism. Um, forging those kinds of relationships might make him even more popular. Although, as Yvonne points out, there's a resource issue outside of, you know, the United States, the European Union. Um, but, you know, maybe uh, Turkey could join on with the whole Silk Road coalition. China's got bucketfuls of – well, China <laughs> has its own issues, but – there's other alliances that could be made. It right. doesn't all have to be done internally. Great having you both with us today. Thank you, Phil. Thank you, Joam. All the best. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Phil. Thank you. Thank you. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.